it's it's kind of surreal for me. I think I've, I've come into back to school over this past decade, and I've spoken to the 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 A level students and the four and five students. So it's my first opportunity speaking to the management and the faculty. So. Um, little nervous, but definitely humbled at the opportunity to, to be able to see some faces and, um, and yeah, just connect with GIS um, once again. So thank you so much for, for inviting me, um, Nicola. So I will um, just be sharing a little bit with you guys about myself and, and sort of the career and, and sort of life lessons, I think, along the way that I hope that um, you guys might be able to take on or be inspired by or maybe learn something new. Um, I'm going to try to be as transparent as possible. So don't hold back on the questions um, sort of at the end of the session. And uh, I, I want to try to make it a little interactive. So I'm going to have a couple of surprise um, polls or quizzes. So do um, participate. And um, we're all here in this together. And, um, you know, it'd be cool to kind of see like how, how everyone responds. So um, I'm just kind of going to get stuck into it. So I thought today I'd talk to you a little bit about um, navigating life as a, as a mumpreneur in that sense. Um, and I'm sure that a lot of us in sort of today's session, we'd have a lot in common in terms of playing the multiple roles and the multiple hats, um, you know, obviously that we wear as, as, as women, mothers, daughters, um, you know, wives, and of course, uh, career women as well. So um, today I'm just going to do a bit of an introduction about myself and, and my career very quickly, kind of to see what I've been doing since GIS pretty much. Um, and I uh, wanted to zoom in a little bit about the business that I'm doing now, which um, has, uh, I guess, helped help me give more direction and purpose in, in sort of my life at the moment. Um, so we, we can take a short like two minute break if anyone really needs like a bathroom or coffee break, but if we're okay to power through, we'll power through. Um, and then I'll get stuck into some of the challenges that I came across um, and, and also what I've learned from that um, as well. And, and we'll do a quick like, Q&A at the end. So we'll try to wrap up the hour with that. All right, so, uh, okay, sorry. All right, so um, you guys have saw my, my bio, so I won't go into it in so much detail. Um, so I'm actually 35 this year. Um, I'm a mother of, well, I will be a mother of two under five. So I'm currently 37 weeks pregnant. So um, I have a daughter who's four and uh, the next one will be a, a boy. So to any moment though, I don't think I'm gonna go into labor, especially not during this call, so don't worry. Um, and uh, right now I'm focusing on my own business, uh, which is called Bubble. So I'll introduce that a little bit more. Uh, I'm actually a cancer survivor. Um, I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma uh, three or oh, well, 2017 when I just gave birth to my daughter. So now I've been three plus years in remission. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll talk a little bit about that later. Um, outside of professional and family life, um, I've been involved with Lean In Malaysia, if everyone's uh, familiar with Sheryl Sandberg's Lean In organization. So I was part of the founding team for the Lean In Malaysia chapter in 2016 or 2015. We started it here and um, I was in charge of partnerships for a few years and then uh, handed over the reins. And um, now I sit on the board of advisors, um, which is more about the strategic direction um, and obviously making sure that there are guidelines and SOPs in place um, to ensure the social impact still remains in our work uh, in Malaysia. Um, I'm mentioning this because I think it's super important in terms of self-care. Self so for me, what I enjoy doing for myself, when I have those pockets of time to myself, um, obviously with the pandemic, it's made it a bit harder, but um, you know, I love a good massage. If I could get like a 90 minute massage, I will go for a 90 minute massage. Um, I like going for a good long hair wash. So for me, it's not so much about styling or anything. Um, I just like to go to one of those like simple, like mine's like a 35 ringgit, you know, Chinese lady who just washes my hair for a really long time and gives me a head massage, like really old school, but I really like doing that. And I, and I do that with my mom sometimes actually. Um, and, and obviously being stuck at home more, I've kind of developed more of this habit of escapism through watching a lot of TV series. So I definitely have gone through quite a lot of um, Netflix this past year, as I'm sure um, some of us have been as well. Um, I, well, I have a nickname or some of uh, my friends have called me a Chiwi. So 
uh, Chinese Kiwi. That's what it stands for. Um, I, can't, I half grew up in New Zealand. So I was born in Malaysia, um, but I moved to New Zealand when I was one. And uh, yeah, I grew up there. And when I came back in 2000, um, that's when I went into to GIS. So I started actually at the end of year eight um, in GIS and finished uh, year 11. And um, so technically, I left GIS in 2003, although I think school terms like class of 2005, I wasn't around for A-levels. Um, yeah, so I, I kind of finished school in GIS and, uh, and then after GIS, I um, did my diploma in business here and then went back to New Zealand for university uh, where I studied um, uh, e-commerce and international business. Uh, did a bit of work uh, before making my way back to Malaysia. Um, in 2010, so I got married and had children, so I'm kind of now like anchored here. Um, well, it's been years now, so I don't think I'll be leaving again anytime soon. Um, but during my time at JS, um, yeah, I was a prefect. I definitely loved being a prefect, um, but uh, I was also chancellor house. If anyone's from, I don't know if anyone here is attached to any houses, but I was a uh, very proud um, chancellor house and, and active on the uh, athletic side of stuff. And I'll say one of my favorite subjects in school was drama. Um, so I had a really awesome um, drama teacher and history teacher back in um, secondary school. All right. Um, so just to share a little bit about my career and kind of what happened to me after I left GIS. Um, I actually, when I went back to New Zealand for university, I, I had to work. Um, Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna mention one thing because I like I said I'm gonna be really honest um, and really I think raw about myself and my my story. Um, so the reason why I went to GIS or my parents chose me to go to GIS was because I wasn't able to catch up to the local government curriculum at the time. I had zero um, Malay <laughs> language, um, and so it was just sort of easier for me to go into an international school. Um, so I don't actually come from a, a privileged family in that sense, um, but my parents work really hard, and I think a lot of the values um, of working hard um, was instilled in myself and my younger sisters. My younger sisters were not able to go to GIS. I think it was really expensive to put three kids in international school. So I had the, 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 the privilege of being able to, to complete my high school there and you know, I had a great time there. But then when I went back to New Zealand, I had to then find a, sec, a, a, a part time job and that would sort of help to supplement me as I went through university. So, um, you know, I took out a student loan and I worked part time as well. Um, but I loved every moment of my time in university. Um, but during that time, I was actually working for a telecom in New Zealand where I was actually um, in the customer service department. So back then people are still using landlines, especially in New Zealand. And uh, so I'd be answering all the, the, the problem calls, all the troubleshooting calls. And uh, I had to work sort of in a team environment and kind of you have one of those headsets and, and a computer screen and, and you're kind of plugging away for six hours responding to, to complaints. And uh, that really like was the beginning of bringing me out of my comfort zone a little bit and my first proper job. I had done a lot of, you know, informal um, sales and promotional kind of stuff, just pocket money um, while I was doing my diploma in Malaysia. But in New Zealand, like with this part-time job, like I was in um, the call center, you know, three, four times a week um, working different shifts as well. Um, but really what I learned through that role was a lot about building relationships and objection handling um, and just how to manage challenging conversations um, and, and really about, you know, what's important in customer service um, and, and really working in a fantastic team environment. I was very lucky. Everyone was older than me. Everyone had kids. My team leader was about 60 years old. So I was the youngest in the team, um, but still I was treated equally. And um, that sort of was the, the beginning of um, me, I guess, kind of starting to creep out of my comfort zone because I, I was a little bit of an introvert in my younger days. Um, and then uh, did that for two years. And then when I graduated, I uh, my first job um, was in a company called Meltwater. And uh, it was an international software company. So SaaS is a software as a service. We did media analytics. So that was the bulk of my early days and career. Um, I started off as a sales consultant in New Zealand and Australia. Um, so I had, the, I had the privilege of being able to live in Australia for a few months. And then um, 
Then I moved into, moved to Hong Kong. There was an opportunity there. I was invited to move over to Hong Kong and um, work in the Asia market. And my goal was how do I get back to Malaysia? I had my my boyfriend here and uh, who is now my husband. Um, how do I get back to Malaysia with a job um, and not have to start from scratch working for a, a typical Malaysian company? So, uh, so I went to Hong Kong for about a year um, and uh, made my way back in 2010 and started the Meltwater office in KL. Um, and the office is still there. It's in Bangsam and RUA. My old team is uh, half still there. Um, but what I wanted to share is very quickly, I mean, this, this company has a fantastic work culture, but they really, it's, it's a really high paced, intense um, working culture. And uh, it's either you survive or you don't. Um, so this was sort of really pushing me outside of my comfort zone. And I landed in a really hardcore, hardcore sales role. Um, but there's opportunity to accelerate your, uh, your career very quickly. So by the time I was 24 and I was back here for a year, um, I was promoted to managing director here in Malaysia. So, you know, things that I was focusing on was very much, you know, sales, business development. Um, uh, this is where I had my first taste of being a manager and really managing people, you know, talent development, um, what it means to really be uh, a leader uh, and a manager. And it's not just, you know, telling people what to do, but, you know, how do you invest in, in, in your team? Uh, I had to manage like a PNL uh, as well. And uh, GTMS is like go-to-market strategy. So, you know, coming back into Malaysia, it's figuring out how do we sell to Malaysian corporates? You know, what is our strategy in um, gaining bigger contracts? How do we fare against our competitors? How do we hire the right people, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then after doing that sort of managing director role um, for four years, I moved into a regional director role, working with our regional teams in Singapore um, and, uh, working with our clients across the region and growing their accounts. So I kind of got to the eight year mark and I realized that, you know, I was working really hard and um, it just kind of felt my life was just work and seeing friends in the weekend. And I just didn't know, just didn't think that I wanted to stick with the same company as the first job for my entire career. So I kind of got the itch to want to get into other things. Um, so actually, while I was working there, I, I sort of dabbled in a couple of startups on the side, which I'll introduce in a bit. Um, they didn't really work out, but um, uh, it kind of scratched that itch a little bit more. And I realized, I think there's more for me outside this company. And that's when I made the decision to leave in 2016. And um, it was really hard. And it's really hard to tell, you know, the company and the bosses you love that you want to leave. Um, but at the same time, it was for selfish reasons. And, and it was very amicable as well. So um, I took a career break, as you can see, from 2016, 2018, because of um, because I was going through chemo, and uh, and I'm one of those people that I can't kind of sit still. I kind of need to do something and get my brain going. So I uh, joined a corporate innovation, a boutique corporate innovation agency. So so happened to be my ex manager in Meltwater. And um, he's been asking me to join him for a long time. So I finally took the plunge and went into the world of corporate innovation. Um, so I've been doing that now for now nearly three years. Um, I'm still kind of doing that a little bit on the side. Um, and so they're headquartered in Munich in Berlin, sorry, Munich in Germany. And so um, again, I've had like amazing privileges with these last two jobs, being able to travel around you know, Europe and Asia in the US for, for sort of working with clients and working with internal teams. Uh, but for Academy for Corporate Innovation, which is the name um, of the company, um, we uh, do tend to focus, well, I, my focus is more on Asia and um, some parts of Europe. And as um, appointed chief strategy officer, it was really very much about how can we um, create new revenue streams and scale revenue, um, which of course, business development. Um, BD is just a fancy word for sales. Um, as my, my uh, when I was interning in Malaysia, my boss then told me, sale, you know, BD is just a fancy word for sales. Um, I was focusing a lot more on partnerships as well, our go-to-market strategy, how do we get into Asia? How do we sell into Asia? Um, it's such a dynamic region where Japan to China and Hong Kong to you know, Malaysia and Singapore, they're all so, so different um, in sort of the approach and the style um, and the strategy that you actually take and how you spend your money. So um, kind of 
getting um, hands dirty a little bit of that. Um, but I was also working like weird hours as well because I'm dealing with the US. So it's my early morning or my late night um, trying to talk to um, basically potential leads in these markets and, and trying to close contracts for, for this organization. Um, but it was tough because it, it's a tough industry to get into. Um, corporates generally aren't so forgiving um, when it comes to uh, how they spend their budget on, on innovation. Um, the ROI isn't so immediate, so it's always been a bit of a challenge. Um, and what happened was then, you know, at this company, it was my, my day job and I was, you know, I had a salary with that. And then I was doing my startup on the side. Um, but then when the pandemic hit last year, uh, it was sort of the nail in the coffin. The company was struggling at times to secure enough large deals to kind of keep overheads going. So uh, as of um, May last year, I technically had lost my job during the, the, the due to the pandemic and the company had to pull back a lot of resources. And so then what happened was I kind of made a pivot and a switch and then I focused on my startup, which is what I'm doing now. Um, and then this corporate innovation has kind of now been, been a side thing. So in a way, I guess it was good timing, maybe a blessing in disguise. I'm not sure. I'm just making the most out of the opportunities that I have. So now my, my full-time um, work and where I spend my time and my passions on um, is now in this e-commerce space and I've never worked you know, B2C before, it's always been B2B my entire career. Um, and I'm in period care. And uh, I, I, I kind of give myself the title just for fun, Chief Estrogen Officer, but I kind of thought when I was doing this presentation, it's kind of Chief Everything Officer because I really, really do everything. My husband does support me on the side and I have a few interns now, but you know, um, there's just so much detail to it that um, basically as a, as a solo founder initially, you kind of have to do everything. But I've kind of now been exposed to things like supply chain and production, um, you know, now looking at B2C strategy and how e-commerce and retail works and digital marketing and, you know, really diving into this world of social media and Facebook ads and all that, which marketing is not really my, my forte or my background, but there's a massive learning curve here, um, which is kind of where I'm at now. So, um, I, I'm just going to dive back a little bit. So Bubble, um, which is my startup now, is actually my third startup. The first one that I did, Shoplympics, was, uh, well, uh, I can't even remember now, so long ago, eight years ago. And this was, um, I, had, I was invited with, with uh, I was invited to join a bunch of partners for this business, which is basically an e-commerce platform like Shopify, if anyone's familiar with Shopify. I use Shopify now to power um the bubble website. Um, but basically we were developing our own e-commerce platform before Shopify came into Malaysia. Um, but at that time, everyone was selling on social media, like Instagram had just come out, people were selling on Instagram and Facebook for free. So they're like, oh, why would I spend and, and, and pay for a platform um, to, to, to try and sell my products? So that didn't work out. And then um, in 2015, 2016, I started with another set of partners, uh, Cloud Condo, which is basically a property management tool, um, enables residents that live in a condo and the, and the management of the condo to be able to uh, communicate. So you can make your payments, notice boards, everything, book facilities, everything's there. And we were trying to build like a digital community um, within condos, um, linking in local startups so at the time, like. Happy Fresh had just started and you have like Made Easy where you book like cleaners to come clean your house. Like all these new startups were bubbling up back then and we wanted to kind of rope them in. Um, but then this, this, this startup didn't, didn't work out either. Um, hard lessons because there was money lost investing in both of these startups. With the first startup, what I learned was that it was the wrong time. We were launching something that there were not enough early adopters. And so the timing was wrong for, this, for, the, for that particular product. Um, and then for Cloud Condo, uh, it was actually the wrong partners that I had. So there were partners that were not equally, um, I quit my job basically at Mount Water to, to, to focus on this and I didn't have partners who had the equal commitment and there was just too many shady stuff going on actually. So um, if anything it was a big learning curve about making sure you have obviously the right solution, timing is important and making sure that you have the right business partners. Um, so even though they have failed, and I would proudly say that they didn't work out, but I feel like I failed forward from that and I had learned so many lessons, which has helped me to give, I, I guess I'm less naive now going into bubble. 
Um, so what is Bubble, if you guys have not heard of it, but basically it's a, it's a conscious eco-organic period care company. Um, why I, I wanted to get into this was during that time when I was going through chemo, I had to actually change the things that I was using in my household. I was just being more, more careful. Um, so things like um, you know, dishwashing detergents, body soaps, um, et cetera, et cetera. I tried to move into more plant-based chemical-free products at home. And I think maybe more so I had my first child, I was a new mom, so maybe a bit more paranoid. And, and obviously I wanted to have safer things that we use at home. And so while, you know, kind of making those changes, I started to look into my own period products and I've been a tampon user for the last decade and, um, and I'm putting this in my body. And in Malaysia, we don't really have many options. It's either you have tampons with applicator or you have tampons without applicator, which is OB. And um, when I did a bit of research about the generic period brands that we're using, a lot of them are you know, mass produced. There's a lot of chemicals involved in producing them. There's a lot of plastic um, that is packaged in as well. And I was sort of sitting on this, this sort of like conscious, um, uh, sort of this journey on being more like conscious about the things that I was buying and things that I was using. So, you know, things like reducing plastic and all those sorts of things was something I was trying to practice a little bit more. So, um, I just felt like I couldn't find a solution for me that was also um, affordable. Um, there were a couple of imported brands at the time, but the reality is, you know, who can afford 40, 40 ringgit box of tampons, you know, every other month kind of thing. So um, I thought, okay, um, let's test this. And before I started the company, I actually started with a survey with 450 women to really understand what matters to them and their behaviors in buying period products. And from that kind of data, that kind of gave me a little bit more, um, uh, I guess, confidence and, and some validity to try to start getting into this. So um, just say, oh, so I thought I'd start with a, 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 a bit of a quiz. Um, Nicola, if you have that quiz ready, but I wanted to ask everyone here um, to maybe answer, like how long on average is your menstrual cycle? And so I think there'll be a pop-up and if everyone can just click the answer. So I'll give you guys about um, 30 seconds to kind of answer and see um, what everyone's cycle is. Few more seconds. Okay, so interesting, right? Most people answer three to five days or five to seven days. Um, some may not get their periods whether you're pregnant or um, already at a menopause age. Um, I don't think anyone here is below 12. <laughs> um, so someone asked me this question as well before and uh, oops. I was supposed to ask this in the beginning, but I thought I'd power through from, from this poll. Um, so we go back to the answers. I don't know if there's a way to do that, Nicola, but it was interesting to see that the answers are generally between three to seven days. Someone asked me this and I answered the same thing. I said, oh, about five days. But actually there's a difference between your period and your um, menstrual cycle. So whoever answered 20 to 35 days answered correctly. So a period are the days that we actually bleed. And yes, on average, it's about three to seven days, depending on, on your flow. But your menstrual cycle is about 28 to 35 days on average. So your, your menstrual cycle is actually made up of four phases. And uh, you can treat them like the four seasons of the year. So you have spring, summer, winter, and fall. Um, and you can read more about this on my website. But I just thought I wanted to do something a little fun. And I think it's interesting in terms of um, us really how much do we understand about our periods? Um, how much do we understand about menstrual health and well-being? And so that's where I kind of felt there was a bit of a gap in this space um, to, I guess, when it comes to education, right? If I think back, I'll be honest, I think back in school in New Zealand when I was 12, or even at GIS during PSHE classes, um, like how in depth are we actually going into the education about this um, in schools? Um, how, are we, how much are we talking about this at home? Like for those of us who have daughters, right? Are, are we 
knowledge equipped to, to talk to our daughters and, and, and to inform them in the right way. Um, so I, I felt that this was a space that I wanted to get into a bit more, especially now that I'm a mother to a daughter. And one day I'm going to have those conversations with her. So um, as I was getting into it, um, I also learned, um, again, I hear some numbers, right? I mean, we menstruate for approximately 40 years of our lives, or if we combined all the period days, um, it ranges between like six to eight years of your life that you're actually having a period, um, give or take, right? Um, and on average, we use about 11,000 period products in our lifetime, in which a lot of the generic period products, um, it takes around 500 years to decompose because it's very plastic heavy. In Malaysia alone, it's, there's about, I think it was, I read there was 2.4 billion, was it kg or tons, couldn't remember, sorry, um, that is uh, made up of disposed period products. So our waste management systems um, may not be innovated enough to basically push de uh, decomposition. Um, and, uh, and the only way to really break down plastic-based um, items in the reef in, in landfills, you'd have to burn them off. When you're burning them off to create more space, it actually then creates more, I mean, the fumes, right? So it's more carcinogenic and that's bad for the environment. So I just, you know, felt like it was a kind of a bit of a vicious cycle. Um, and that's where I went into this and wanted to provide a, a safer, more sustainable alternative um, for menstruators. And so uh, with, with my brand at Bubble, we use GOT certified organic cotton um, and uh, you know, free from toxins and dyes. There's no sense, nothing like that. With our packaging, we use um, FSC paper, which is biodegradable paper that comes from sustainable forests. And we use soy ink instead of the normal digital ink. Um, and then we offer a subscription service as well. So we wanna make this convenient. I mean, we're subscribing to Netflix and Spotify. And there's so many subscriptions now that's coming in our lives that that's changing the way we live. And our periods come every month, pretty much um, for most women. So why not subscribe to your, your period products as well? And I read that actually, and maybe something you, you ladies could think about the next time you go to a pharmacy or you go to a supermarket when we're able to, um, but what I read is that buying period products is one of the least conscious decisions that a woman makes when she's actually out just doing her, her usual um, grocery or pharmacy shopping. So just something to think about when you guys next go into, you know, we want to grab your period products, have a read, like, what is it actually made of? Do you understand what the ingredients are telling you? I found that I didn't understand what it's talking about. And I learned that some of the products, um, some of the brands don't actually declare what it's made of. So that was even more um, alarming um, because by right, it's considered a medical device. So it, they don't actually have to declare what it's made of. So these are just some of the lessons that I learned as I went through understanding more about what I'm using with my period and learning more about my menstrual health. Um, and so kind of backing behind, obviously, the business, we have a really big purpose in trying to champion providing safer and sustainable period products. Um, and I say for all menstruators, and I try to be um, language conscious and not say women all the time, because not all women menstruate and not all menstruators are women. So have a think about that one. Um, and regardless of socioeconomic background. So we're working now, we've sort of raised some funds and we are now supporting a lot of the flood victims in Malaysia and the B40 community that's been affected by the pandemic um, and some of the rural areas who lack access to basic necessities. Um, you know, a lot of women have lost their jobs and so if they can't afford to eat, they certainly can't afford to buy period products, which means they use like newspapers um, and old cloth. And uh, that's been quite commonly practiced in rural areas. And what that leads to could be hygiene issues um, and, and infections. So, um, so we have uh, a lot of purpose and, and mission that's driving behind the business that we're doing. Um, even when, when it comes to like schools, I mean, I think you guys might've read that in, in Scotland, New Zealand as well, um, providing free period products to, to girls in schools. Um, there are a lot of girls even here in Malaysia that skip school because of their period. Um, so we want to make sure we help to keep girls in school um, and, and sort of start to break through the stigma and taboo that still surrounds something so natural as period. So, you know, if anyone here wants to stock up 
bigger products and GIS, just contact me. Um, but also working with corporates and government is, is sort of another channel that we are working towards and how we can create more social impact, how we could potentially change you know, policies, um, education, provide free peer products, even in the workplace. And that was the plan before the pandemic hit. Um, but it's just sort of to normalize, you know, period talk and, and, and having things available, uh, having period products available. You know, if we're going to travel and we go to hotels, we always get the sanitary bag, but why can't we get uh, a pad as part of our amenities when we go and stay in a four or five star hotel, right? You get like razors and men get shaving cream and everything, but women can't get, a, you know, sanitary pads. I'm short of maybe calling housekeeping and I've been doing this for two years and experimenting and you don't always get it, um, depending on where you stay. Um, okay, so I thought like at this point I was gonna do a quick break, but I mean, if anyone wants needs to take a break, you could raise your hand or else I will power through. Nicola, just wanna check with you. Yeah, I think everybody seems to be okay to, to power through. So we'll, we'll carry on. Okay, cool. Alrighty. All right, so I'm gonna get into the bad and the ugly side of stuff, I suppose. So um, for me, the, the challenge, these are sort of the, the key challenges I would say in my recent years that I kind of experienced. I mean, first, of course, is this the cancer. And I think that's been a story that I've been telling a lot over the last few years. And I, I actually documented the, my cancer journey in my, in my social media at the time, because I did, when I found out about the cancer, I shut off for about a month and then I kind of felt like I didn't want to hide behind behind what had happened and it, it is more common than we know and I'm sure there are some people here if you, you know um, maybe you know someone um, that, that has gone through that so you know I kind of did feel a lot of these feelings that are out here right it just it's one of those things where you're like wow I can't believe that's happened to me you, you hear it with other people you see it on tv but you just never believe that it would would happen to you so that was sort of what was going through my head it did feel like really lonely at times um I guess at that time a lot of friends really didn't know how to treat me or how to respond or react so I think the only way that they knew how to respond was to give me my space. So I think what happened was it made me feel more lonely and feel neglected almost. Um, and, you know, I learned a lot of things I think about myself during that time um, going through, through chemo. Um, but at the same time, I was trying to juggle with being a new mom. So a lot of people ask me, how did you find out about, you know, you having Hodgkin's lymphoma? I mean, I had no pain whatsoever. It was when I gave birth to my daughter, had a really big lump grow on my neck on the right side. And um, what I learned is that if you have any uh, lumps that grow on your um, neck, your armpit, uh, your breast or your groin area on the right side, so these are where your, uh, your glands are, um, you should try to seek, uh, it's, it's not even an oncology, it's a hematologist, it's a blood doctor. And I never knew what they were at the time. It was actually my gynecologist that told me to see a blood doctor because she was like, what is this lump growing on? And so right after I gave birth. And, and so um, she, if it's on the right side of your body, that kind of means something. If you have a lump growing on the left side of your body, it means that your body is fighting infection. So those will come and go, you know, sometimes might get them in our underarms or, or a bit on our neck or around behind our ear. But if it's on the left side, it's nothing to really be alarmed about. But if it's on the right side and it doesn't go away, that's a signal. So that's kind of what I learned. And this is specific with like um, uh, lymphoma cancer patients um, because it affects your immune system, attacks your immune system and, uh, and affects your, your white blood cells as well. But kind of like going through that, I mean, when I was diagnosed, my daughter was six weeks old and then it was kind of the decision between do I do chemo or, you know, I had a lot of people throwing a million other ideas, trying to do the natural way and, you know, change your diet and eat lots of lemons and I might cure cancer and I had, all this stuff come to me from, a lot of it came from strangers as well um, through my social media. And, uh, and I almost backed out on chemo a few days before. Um, I asked a friend who lives, a Malaysian friend who lives in Brisbane and her daughter also, her five month old daughter went through a year of chemo, but she's also a doctor. So I had to ask this friend, you know, what is the right decision? I mean, you, your daughter went through that and she's like, yes, I'm a mother and I'm a daughter. I wouldn't put my daughter through something that 
you know, would, she basically wanted to increase the chances for her daughter to survive. And so that was something that I made was a calculated decision where I'm young enough to be able to recover from chemo. And uh, I needed something that I knew had a higher chance of working than try to go the natural way and not, and not to say the natural way doesn't work. It's just that everyone's DNA is totally different. So you can't really guarantee, you can't monitor if it's working or not, short of going through a PET scan every six months. So I decided to go through chemo and I went through 12 rounds of chemo over six months. Um, at that time, it was kind of hard because me as a person, I'm kind of always in the driver's seat and to kind of feel like I'm losing control at home and my husband kind of had to take over and I'm you know, not earning any money for the first time. Like I, I'm actually more the breadwinner at home. Um, and so that was kind of hard for me in terms of felt like I lost my independence a little bit, I guess, and handing the reins over to my husband and um, kind of having to depend on him um, financially as well. So it was, you know, I felt like it was a bit of an opportunity cost between, you know, my health and motherhood and my career. And it's just a lot of things that were happening. Um, but I learned a lot of things along the way, which I'll share in, in the next slide. Um, the other challenges I came across, so being a mom and a female founder. So, you know, there's this whole boom of, entrepreneurship and startups that's been going on in Malaysia and Southeast Asia the past five, six years. And I've been quietly observing um, what's been going on in this ecosystem. Um, and certainly um, if I had started Bobble six, seven years ago, my appetite for risk would be different. I would have probably gone in guns are blazing um, and may, may have made more rash decisions, I don't know. But now as a mom, my, my appetite my risk appetite is different. So I'm very careful in, in how much I had to, uh, was going to invest. I, I needed to make sure I saved up enough money to be able to do this um, or else I won't do it. So I challenged myself and my job to save up enough money. So I had that sort of, um, sort of little like nest, uh, nest um, before going into the startup. Um, it's really challenging time management <laughs> on a different level. It's not just me or me and my husband and my job, but it's, now, you know, I have a child and now a second one um, coming along the way. So I'm still trying to figure that out. And uh, yeah, limits in fundraising. So in the reality, the sad reality is that with startups who are trying to raise funds, um, majority of the investors are male. And so me coming in with a period care product that males will never use and who have very little understanding and knowledge of, it makes it perhaps less um, appetizing to invest in and all the more if you're a mother as well. So I think that there is a sense of judgment in this space, which there are organizations that are trying to change that and close the gap between um, male and female founder companies. But I think being a mom and, a, and an entrepreneur is, is sort of taking it beyond just being a female founder as well. Um, so that's something that I'm facing right now. And this year we're trying to fundraise again so we can scale and grow a little bit more. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, it's a challenge and the learnings that, uh, that you know, I guess I'll, I'll get through this year. But I also found that during this time, there's a lot of imposter syndrome. Um, I'll admit that I've gone through that as well. I mean, from the onset, you know, uh, you know what people see in the social media, when they talk to you, um, they think that you kind of have it all. You have a great lifestyle. You can be flexible and work your own time, etc. But it's not all, it's not really all that. It looks better than it actually is. And, um, you know, Sheryl Sandberg, she did talk about, you know, leaning in, having it all. And then Michelle Obama came out to challenge that, to say, you can't have it all at the same time. So that kind of like clicked with me where, you know, I thought at, the, at certain times, like, am I failing? Am I not doing a good job? Um, I kind of would doubt myself a lot in making this decision. Um, but on the onset, you know, I, I never show the, the, the vulnerability to, to um, people because, you know, they could be my customers, my friends could be my customers or my business partners, you know, working with them, et cetera. So I don't show that side. And so I think the imposter syndrome kind of creeps in from time to time. But I remind myself that, you know, it's, you, you can have it, but I think at different stages. And so right now I'm at a certain stage where, you know, I, I know what I need to do and what I can do. Um, and, and I'm okay with that. It doesn't mean that I'll be able to achieve everything right now. Um, entrepreneurship isn't glamorous. Um, <laughs> bootstrapping. So it's been fully self-funded by myself and my husband. There is no salary to start with. So that's the reality. If anyone wants to get into entrepreneurship, unless you have 
investors backing you. Um, kind of went through a bit of business bullying where we had like competitors who were trying to bully us out of business last year. So you kind of face sort of the ugly side of business a little bit. But at the same time, I guess the, the white line is that, you know, if someone's trying to, to scare you out of business is validating what you're doing. Um, yeah, definitely my self-confidence got, got knocked back several times. Um, and yeah, I guess a lot of disappointment in people. Um, I'll share exactly what that is in a minute. Uh, and then the last thing is that the reality is I, I do have two jobs. So I still work at the, uh, the Academy for Corporate Innovation and uh, that's on a part-time commission-based. That, that's what actually helps me to survive um, and still be able to take care of my family. So I might spend maybe 20% maybe of my time working on that and then the rest goes um, to, to bubble. But I mean, I wish I could focus on one because I think that focusing on one, I'd be better. But the reality is I need to, to have both in order to supplement the other. So um, hopefully in the next year or so, it wouldn't have to be the case. But that is that is the reality, I think, for, well, at least for me as a mom and a female founder. Um, so I thought I wanted to share this. Um, as you can see, I have long hair. And my whole life, I've always had long hair. I never cut my hair above my shoulders at any point in my life. And so to have to shave my head for chemo was one of the hardest things I think I had to go through during that time. So as you can see here, my husband, he was the one that shaved my head. He, he did it first. So we decided to do it as a family. So myself, my husband and my daughter, we shaved our heads together um, because I was warned that with my particular chemo, my hair will fall. Not every um, cancer drug will um, will create hair loss, but mine, mine would. And I already started to experience like a lot of clumps of hair coming out when I was showering after a month of chemo. So I decided to kind of take ownership and take just kind of take back control by shaving it off. Um, and it was both, you know, scary, but it was very, very liberating um, to kind of go through that experience. And I tried to own it by having a bit more fun. So I play around with like headscarves and I get like family caps printed. So this one says my chemo made me do it because I kind of had a bit of chemo and post-pregnancy brain. And then my husband's cap says my wife's chemo made me do it. So it was just trying to, you know, I guess make the most of it. I have to be grateful that I have a second chance. Um, you know, I still, you know, had my first child and she's healthy and safe. Um, and the best way to kind of get through chemo as a family was trying to live life as normally as possible. So I'd still go for the grocery shops from time to time when I'm not tired. Um, my husband has taken me out for a movie a couple of times, but we do movies in the morning. So I have to go when I'm in public, I have to be where there's not so much crowd. So I can't go into a movie when it's a crowded time, I, I go in the morning. Um, and even back then I started washing my hands a lot because of, uh, I could pick up infection very easily. So moving into COVID days, I mean, practicing washing hands a lot at home and hand sanitizing wasn't anything new for me um, as I practiced it during that time. So I just thought I wanted to connect back with you guys. I mean, I've shared with you guys a bit about my challenges. And I mean, if you're comfortable, I wanted to do another poll. Again, it's all anonymous, right? So, you know, what is the number one challenge that you guys are currently facing? You know, is it time management or you feel you're ch feeling challenged with juggling your family and your, your work or your career or is it clarity and what's going on next in your life or your, 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 you know, your career? Is it you're just not able to find time to invest in yourself and your health purpose or maybe something else that I wasn't able to list? So I just wanted to see kind of, you know, what everyone's answering and maybe you won't feel so alone because there's other people answering the same thing. Okay, so I think that the yeah, clarity and career ambitions and next steps, I mean, I think we kind of face this at different phases in our lives, um, you know, through life experiences, it kind of helps us, it kind of makes us maybe have hit a bit of a reset button in our mind. Um, but yeah, interesting to see and, and, and hopefully some of the ladies here who answered this, you can see that you're maybe not not so alone in, in the challenge that you're actually facing. So if you have any questions, you know, feel free to ask me um, at the end of this. Okay, so powering through. 
lessons learned. I took a photo, actually, so everything here is all my own photos. I took a photo of this. I wanted to share this with my daughter. I realized I haven't actually shown her this, but like, it's so easy for young girls to think about this whole princess, princess thing. Um, and now she started to get into this idea about what a superhero is as well. So, you know, wanting to share with her a little bit more about like the real life superheroes and her understanding the concepts and the values behind what makes a female superhero. Um, but I'm still learning, right? Lessons learned, but I'm still learning. And I sort of, I guess, categorize it in these sort of four um, areas. So first was purpose. Um, what I realized after going through chemo is, you know, not everyone gets a second chance after going through cancer. So I was um, lucky that I was able to, um, uh, I guess, uh, what's the word, recover from chemo. And I had a good chance because of the time that I caught it. I was lucky that I caught it right at stage three before it gets into stage three and four and affects my organs. So, you know, it's just timing was almost impeccable. Um, and so I felt like, you know, coming out of 2017, I had new beliefs and values and, you know, I was finding the purpose for myself and just sort of asking myself, you know, what kind of story or legacy do I want to be remembered by, you know, um, and how I live or, or, you know, the work that I'm doing and whatnot. And I, and I wanted to lead by example, especially for my children. Um, hustle, uh, that's always been, I guess, my thing. Uh, and I'm still learning. I mean, no one comes out of university wanting to be a salesperson. <laughs> it's one of the, the most unglamorous sounding jobs or job titles, um, but I kind of landed into it um, kind of in a randomly with that first job at Meltwater, but it was certainly a massive learning curve that I think has helped to shape me and the strengths um, that I have today in my professional life. Um, and so really sales is the backbone of any company or any business. If you don't have sales, um, you don't have people who are able to actually sell, um, then there's, there's essentially no successful business there. Um, and part of the hustle has always been opportunity oriented. So sort of I've been able to, um, kind of create a bit of this, uh, I think it's more of a mindset shift perhaps, and really always on the lookout for opportunity and how to look at situations and turn situations or conversations or um, acquaintance meetings or whatever it is into opportunity. And there's this mantra that I, I've lived by since I started Meltwater, which is you never know if you don't ask, um, because obviously if you don't ask, you're not going to, to, to know, right? You're not going to get it. And, and this can apply not just to work, but in your personal life. You know, at work, I had to learn how to ask for a promotion or ask for a salary raise. Um, that was with the job at the Corporate Innovation Agency. Like, how do I ask to be paid more? Because I felt that my time and the value that I can bring to the company and the kind of revenue I can bring to the company um, was worth asking for that, that promotion or that salary raise. Um, even little things like one story I had was um, many, many years ago, fire, I took a firefly um, um, trip, sorry, I took a plane with firefly from Kale to Sabah. And uh, I thought it was flying from the Subang airport. So I, so I bought a ticket, I thought it was flying from the Subang airport, but I didn't realize that actually the, that firefly plane was flying from back then LCC2, LCCT2, right? The old KLIA2, because the itinerary thing that I got doesn't actually state clearly which airport you're flying from. So I missed my flight because I went to the wrong airport. And so I had to just buy the next flight and, and go to go to Sabah. But I thought like, hmm, that's not entirely my fault. I think it could be better. So I just tried to find the CEO's email and I emailed the CEO and told him the situation um, and kind of just gave feedback really. And I wasn't really expecting a refund, but I kind of just asked anyway, just snuck it in there. And I actually, well, he didn't respond to me personally. I think someone in his team did and they actually gave me a refund. So it wasn't so much about the money. It was more about the principle, I think, behind the whole thing. And so, um, I mean, that's just an example, um, but I, as much as possible, um, and within reason, of course, um, I would try to ask, right? Um, and I think that asking, 90% um, of the time opens more opportunity than not. Um, humility. So um, invest in yourself such that someone else wants to invest in you. So, you know, it's just for me, it was always about how can I be better? How can I, how can I um, improve? How can I self-learn? You know, how can I make it that someone else actually wants to hire me? Someone else would want to pay me that amount. Um, 
but I think along the way, it's making sure that, you know, I'm also humble as I'm progressing through um, my career. And there are certainly successes, yes, but there's also certainly failures, but also making sure that there's a sense of humility um, behind um, the entire journey. And when I talk about active listening, I mean, that's something that I've tried to hone. Um, in my early days, I was always the talker, but less of a listener. And what I've learned is that um, even though I may be managing a team or I'm the boss, that I'm always listening to my team. Even though with my interns now who are like 12, 13, 14 years younger, um, but I listen to what they have to say because a lot of the times I do actually learn a lot of new things. Like now they're telling me, get on TikTok because Facebook is old school. <laughs> um, you know, and so I'm learning about TikTok and things like that now, but it's really about listening and learning from others, no matter what stage of their life they're at. And I think I can learn especially a lot from the younger generation. So I'm always trying to listen and, and learn. That's part of my learning um, process. Um, and of course, continuous learning. Um, and kind of the last part was making peace. Um, I used to find myself you know, I, I used to be a bit more hot-headed and I take things personally um, and it kind of carries with me a little bit for a while. Um, what I learned is that your friends aren't your customers. So when I started Bubble, I thought, oh, great, you know, I'm sure I can get 100 friends to buy my product. They're all women. They all have their periods, right? And it wasn't the case. Um, and I thought that, you know, it's about disposable income, you know, you know what's 20 ringgit for, for organic cotton period products. But then what I learned is not about the money, it was actually about the mindset if they, if they cared about it. So um, not, I shouldn't, you know, blame them at all. I think it's just more everyone has different um, preferences and priorities in that sense. Um, so I kind of made peace of that. I think at first I was a bit like, oh, you know, they're not supporting me. And then that's how I took it. So it's trying to shape how I actually perceive the situation and really try to understand. So I actually ask them, hey, what's holding you back from buying bubble? And just learning a lot of, of, of the answers kind of helped me, I think, to be at peace and, and understand the situation a bit more and help me to manage certain expectations, right? With, with also with business partners and, and, and sort of the ecosystem that I'm in out there. Um, and, you know, practicing um, being at peace a little bit more and not taking it personally helps me move beyond, you know, the curveballs that get thrown at you um, a lot faster. Um, and I'm sure some of you may have came, come across the concept of Ikigai, which is the Japanese um, concept for the, the reason for being right. And I came across this, I went to a talk and uh, uh, I was a CEO of a Malaysian company. I think he was the CEO of EPF um, in Malaysia. I was at an event and he was speaking and he mentioned Ikigai when he was on the stage talking. I'll never forget. So I Googled it as he was speaking. And when I saw this diagram, I just felt like it really just hit the nail on the head. And this is at the time where I had just finished chemo and I was just trying to figure out my next purpose in life. And I just felt like this entire diagram was what was missing for me and, and kind of defining it in a way that I could understand, right? And so I feel like now with what I'm doing at Bubble, I've kind of covered all bases. Is it the last part of the bottom, um, what you can be paid for? So I'm not quite there yet with my business, but certainly I feel like with a lot of the last decade of experience that I've had, I, I can definitely contribute to my business. I'm doing something that I love, that I can give back and have impact. Um, I wanted to make sure that whatever I did, if if I had to do a third startup, that it had something with purpose. And if we look at the right side, right, what the world needs, um, I, I feel that there could be more of that in this world, especially given um, how things are rapidly changing and not always in a good way. Um, and you know, for our next one or two generations, what kind of impact are we leaving behind for them? Um, what I, what, one of the books that I, one of the very little books that I've read um, is Sheryl Sandberg's Option B. Um, and I do recommend that as a read if you're kind of feeling a bit um, lost or, or perhaps hitting a bit of a, a brick wall in your life or just a bit down, I guess, right? And so I started reading this actually um, before I actually started chemo. And uh, it was, I think, maybe even chapter three or four, where she talks about resilience and post-traumatic growth. And I had, you know, the opportunity to get to meet and speak with her in Singapore, and she signed my book and everything. So a bit of a fangirl moment. But basically on, on resilience, I mean, what I learned is that resilience is you're never born with it. And it's a muscle that you flex, right? The more knockbacks and the more challenges you face, um, it's only going to build that muscle and you're just going to become more and more resilient and, and 
hence the saying, you know, what doesn't kill you, make you strong, makes you stronger. Um, but for me, it was, you never know how strong you are until strong is the only choice you have left. And that's kind of what I felt during chemo is that it was up to me and not anyone else, not even my husband. It was up to me to, to be strong for my family and for myself and how I wanted to think and how I wanted to feel and how I wanted to act during chemo. And yes, there are days that I cry and I'm like, oh, why is this happening to me? And oh, I have to Google about wigs. And that was quite a depressing thing, looking for wigs. So I decided not to, to wear wigs. Um, and I found that mental strength was actually more powerful than physical or emotional strength. And it was the mental strength that actually took me through that time. And um, post-traumatic growth, um, I think we've all heard of PTSD. And PTSD is really about how you can, you know, you go for a traumatic experience and it's how do you bounce back to how you were before. But the reality is that you're probably never going to be that same person again. And you're never going to go back to that same situation. So in Cheryl's book, she talks about growing, right? Moving forward and actually growing and learning from a traumatic experience. And so that's, I felt was, I resonated with me a lot more. And, and I feel that I'm a, I'm a better person than I was before going through, through chemo when it was all about career and money and climbing the ladder and ambitions and all that stuff. And we can have that, yes. But now I just feel at least myself, um, like I had that purpose. Um, and so this is the last sort of key learning and it sounds really technical, um, but it's what we, what I preach and teach in my corporate innovation consulting role, which is this lean startup methodology and lean startup methodology is basically principles that most startups tend, tend to um, live by, but I feel uh, corporates also are trying to apply it now, but I feel that we can also apply it in our personal life. So, you know, for, I'll take bubble as an example. Um, am I solving a big enough problem, right? There's no point having a really great idea and thinking, you know, a hundred million people are going to buy it because that's your own assumption. Um, you know, why are you doing this? A lot of people get into entrepreneurship because it's, you know, looks glamorous or your own boss, you have your own time, da, da, da. So again, it's, it's not really the case. Um, the main thing you have to think about is are you solving a big enough problem or what is your why? So whatever you're doing now, like what is your why in making that decision to spend most of your life doing that? Um, and from a business perspective, you know, is it scalable in what you're doing? Um, validating assumptions. So we've all heard the saying, assuming makes an ass out of you and me. So in business, I think, and I think in life is, it's so easy for us as human beings to make a lot of assumptions about things and about situations and other people. Um, from a business perspective, um, we need to make sure that we, A, uh, realize what our assumptions are. So I thought that Hmm, women with high disposable income, no problem. They'll be able to buy bubble and make that switch. But I realized that that was a massive assumption on my part and that's not actually the case. And so when you are able to identify and validate your assumptions um, and, and change your business decisions, sorry, uh, make business decisions to change, make changes, it will help you to save money in the short and the long term. And then running small experiments. So the Lean Startup methodology is built on this build, measure, learn approach where you test, you know, you, you identify your assumption, you test it out a little bit um, and, uh, you know, get some data and insights from that. And then you be able to make database decisions, right, from that experiment. And maybe it fails. And, oh, I see a typo there. <laughs> and, and maybe the experiment failed. But then what you learn is that I'm not going to put in money into doing that. And so what I showed you here is this picture if you see in the bottom left corner, which was like the second bazaar that I did um, as in a, we did a Christmas bazaar. So I used to be based out of a co-working space. And before I launched Bubble, before I even had a website, um, I just produced a smallish quantity of products. And um, to test really small and really lean, I just went into a couple of these bazaars and tried to sell my products and talk to customers and see what people actually buy it because if people weren't going to buy it, then why do I want to spend more money building a website, hiring people, um, you know, producing more, et cetera, et cetera. So it's running these small experiments that you learn a lot of things. And I think in our life, we can test certain things depending on what it is and, and just kind of get some data or feedback or, or insight. And then it may help give us clarity and kind of what's our next move. And so after doing this bazaars, it, it did fairly well. And uh, we continued this for about three months. And then I only launched the website later on. And then we sold out our day and night pads like six months later. So then that's where I kind of decided to continue with, with Bubble. 
So I'm just sort of wrapping up. So sorry, we're just a little bit, I think, over the hour. But um, I'm just hoping that through what I shared so far, um, it might have given you a sense of clarity, I think, a little bit through my transparency. Um, and again, feel free to ask me the hard questions after this. Uh, hope that maybe there's some new concepts I might have shared um, or mantra that I live by that might be new for you. Maybe some insights that you can apply to your own life. But I think at the end of this, maybe you feel like less alone. Because I think for a lot of us, we, we all share similar um, challenges. Um, and it's just good to know that, you know, you're not alone. And there's always a support circle out there, um, whether it's people you know or you don't actually know. So with that, I finish. Um, and if anyone has any questions, feel free to ask. Thank you. Thank you, Melise. Um, if anybody wants to either type their questions in the chat or just unmute and ask Melise a question. And whilst you're just thinking about questions, I just wanted, I want to say a huge thank you. I mean, I, I feel humbled by your story and by what you've achieved in your life already. And you're so young and inspired. You know? And I, I wish that when I'd been in my 20s, I could have listened to something like that because something that I often talk about is role models and women not ha always having role models. And I talk about from my own perspective, I don't, I, I didn't have a lot of role models in my own professional career when I was kind of um, starting out in my career and actually quite quite a long way into my career. And you are such an amazing role model for, for not just younger people, but older people as well, people like me who were quite a lot older than you. So yeah, I, thank, I just want to say thank you because that was, it was inspirational. Thank you, Melise. Thank you. Anybody else who just wants to unmute and ask a question or put something in the chat? Or it could be on super detailed. <laughs> Thanks, Nikki. Thank you. I'm sure, Malisha, you wouldn't mind if people contacted you afterwards as well, if people want to get in touch and, and ask you anything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm on, yeah, LinkedIn, uh, email. You can even ping me on WhatsApp. Um, Nicola has my number as well. So... Um, yeah, any channel is totally fine, and you know, my social media, etc. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, so I understand that sometimes things might be, you know, sensitive or it's not something that you want to ask openly in public, and that's absolutely fine as well. So, um, uh, thank you for the lovely comments. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, I guess, yeah, I'm younger. Um, age, yes, I think there's time, I guess, a bit more on my side, but then at the same time, you just never know how much time you really have left. You just never know, I guess, um, what happens in life. And so I think it's just making the most of whatever, um, you know, I guess, time that I have, um, not to sound morbid about it, but um, the reality for me is because I still have to go to the doctor every three months. So I have to still see my doctor and do the checkups and I actually got a chemo port inserted into a vein here. So I have to get that, that, that was where the chemo was administered. So I have to go and, and clean that every, every couple of months. So there's always sort of this anxiety in the back of my mind every time I go to the hospital, you know, about relapse. And I was actually afraid that I couldn't get pregnant. So, um, you know, very blessed that was able to, to still get pregnant the second time. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just counting my lucky stars, but it's, you know, can't help to always have this little light dark cloud at the back of your mind because I'm not fully out of the woods just yet. I mean, this, I can only declare I'm cancer free five years after chemo. Um, you know, I've had insurance policies and insurance companies reject me for insurance because of my medical history. I mean, I couldn't even get insurance for my unborn child because of my medical history. It's just like facing a lot of these, this is just the harsh reality of life. That these things happen to you. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so, um, yeah, amazing. Um, I, I genuinely feel really emotional about your about your story and what you've shared and what you've achieved today. It's 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 phenomenal, um, and can't thank you enough. And I think we, we all wish you the best of luck as well with the birth of your of your son. Um, you said you were thirty weeks <laughs> pregnant, so. so <laughs> And, you know that that would be really nice to hear that you know that you've successfully delivered your son 
Thank you. Yeah, which is why I think we were planning this time before it got too close to labor. Um, but, uh, and, and yeah, Catherine, I think you had a question. Yes, so I'm, I'm mostly selling bubble. Actually, I'm only selling bubble right now in Malaysia just because I'm here and it's just easier to manage the logistics. We are going to be launching in Singapore um, probably middle of the year um, just to try try that market as well. But uh, yeah, so available. You can go to our website, bubblelit.co um, or our Instagram, bubblelit. Um, and uh, yeah, any questions about that, feel free to ask me um, about that too. But um, yeah, no, thank you so much for everyone's time. Um, to be honest, I haven't done a talk that has gone uh, this in depth perhaps, or, or really highlighting vulnerabilities and challenges just so much. And I think it's important to really share that. So um, yeah, thank you for the opportunity for me to share um, with you guys. And I think before we leave, I think we wanted to take uh, a photo, right? Nicola, you wanted to do the yeah, screenshot? going to do a screenshot so if you don't want to be on the screenshot then turn your camera off we're going to do one okay i'll just do one more okay and I'll share with anybody who, who wants uh, to see that as well. Um, before everybody goes, we, we have with us today, um, I think Rebecca's still here. Rebecca Finlay, who is um, head of primary at ISP is with us today. And um, I just, and Rebecca's actually heading up Women Ed Malaysia, um, which is just launching um, at the moment. So I, I wanted to invite Rebecca to just do a little bit of a sell of their talks that are coming up. Rebecca, are you there? Of course I am. Yes, thank you. Thanks, Melise, for that. It was really wonderful. Um, and yeah, Women Ed uh, Ladies is a, a network that we have started in Malaysia. We're the 31st uh, network to have opened across the world. And um, we are looking to bridge the community, community and local community. My headphones are terrible, I'm sorry. Um, and we have, uh, our mission is to inspire and empower our peers. And really it's about building connections and building a network. Nicola has very kindly agreed to be our, one of our first speakers on, uh, we have three Wednesdays in February. Females in February is the name of the uh, sessions. And Nicola is heading up the first one for us with another educator. And then we have some fantastic speakers from Malaysia, Cheryl Ann Fernando, who uh, had a movie made about her work in education here in Malaysia, um, Dr. Hartini, who's a child activist, um, and many more. We've got a young entrepreneur and some other international speakers as well. So it's totally free. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, um, women, ed, ed, um, MYS for Malaysia and the links to the tickets are there they're free please pass them on you don't have to be a leader or a teacher or even a female to come along and uh, join the sessions they're short um, and built to fit around women's busy lives um, hopefully you'll find them interesting and empowering and feel free to share the link far and wide it's for anybody across Malaysia so thank you for that opportunity. Um, and I hope many, we might be able to see you join our network. And um, Malise, you are most welcome. You might be a little bit busy having a baby, but uh, you're also very welcome to join us. Thanks, Rebecca, brilliant. Thank you. Thanks everybody. Thanks again. I uh, hope you all have a brilliant half term because I probably won't see most of you before the holiday. Enjoy, have a great break. Thanks for coming today. Thanks again to Malise. Um, take care and, See you all soon. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.